Amen. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. Well, it's an absolute joy to be with you, and uh, we've had a we've had a great day today. It's been wonderful to be with uh, some of the leaders as well uh, this afternoon, and just to share and be on a journey together. Thank you for the very kind introduction, and uh, I really, really do appreciate that. But it's just a joy to serve you and to be with you. And uh, I, I want to thank you for making the time to be here uh, Saturday evening, and you've made the time to be in the presence of God, and hopefully receive something from the word of God. I want to get straight to it. I'm conscious that we've been just worshipping in the presence of God and I could say a lot of things in terms of introduction but there's just a sense of the Lord here and that's great preparation for his word and we just want to receive. Amen. So if you have a Bible, John chapter 1, going to read from John chapter 1 and then we're also going to flip across to John chapter 8 but we'll start in John chapter 1. Um, so if you're, if you're maybe a visitor or you're not a Christian, you don't have a Bible, then you just follow the reading. You can listen as I read. Uh, but if you do have a Bible with you, then try and find that. That'll be great. John's Gospel, chapter 1, and we'll start reading from verse 1. And it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name... He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God. And is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Now, if you can flick across to chapter 8, verse 1. Just read a little passage there. In fact, we'll pick up the reading from verse 2. So John chapter 8, verse 2. And it says this, At dawn Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman 
caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis of accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older one first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Let me just move that over there a little bit. Um, Incredible uh, passages of scripture. John's gospel introduces Jesus in the most amazing way. He declares him to be the word that has become flesh. Incredible. So some of the other gospel writers were introduced to Jesus through his birth. So Matthew and Luke show us Jesus being born into the world. Mark starts at his baptism, but John starts even further back. John starts with this great declaration that the person we call Jesus is actually God in flesh. And he's come to dwell among us. I love how the message version of the Bible puts it. It says that that the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I like that. Jesus literally becomes one of us. And I don't know if you noticed in that that passage in John chapter 1, but there was a phrase used twice about Jesus. And it says that he came full of grace and truth. And it says later, a little bit later on, says that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I'm one of those people, I spot patterns like that. I like that sort of stuff. And so I look at that and I think, right, twice in as many verses, we're told that Jesus came full of grace and truth. So as someone trying to understand the Bible, I'm asking the question, what does that mean for Jesus? And then as a follower of Jesus, what does that mean for me? So what do I learn about Jesus from this statement, he came full of grace and truth? And then how can I apply that to my world in the 21st century? Uh, And and how can grace and truth be part of my world? I I, I think that actually grace and truth for Jesus is is wrapped up in what we call the incarnation. that, That actually the grace is God becomes flesh. It's an incredible act of grace. But the truth is, uh, we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only. So, so actually, grace is he becomes flesh and lives among us, but the truth is he's still God. So there's a grace and truth even in Jesus. But I think there's also an application to me and you in our 21st century world that in the way that Jesus comes by grace and truth to his world, we as his followers are called to go in grace and truth to our world. Alright? So, in order for that to happen, it's really important that I want to try and understand, right, what does grace and truth mean? What does it look like? And how do I apply that to my world? So, we probably need to start with a definition or two. Before we go anywhere with this, what does grace mean in this context? What does truth mean in this context? 
So grace in, in, in the context of this passage might mean this, that it's the sense of the favor of God given to us that we don't deserve. Is that alright? I know there'll be people in the room, uh, and you've been Christians a long, long time, and so you sort of, you sort of get this. But when we talk about grace in a context like this, what we're saying is this, this is God's favor given to us that none of us deserve. So in whatever way God is being generous, we don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. We haven't got the right to have it. He gives it to us because he's just a generous and gracious God. So when we talk about grace here, here's what we mean. God's favor that we don't deserve. Is that alright? Okay. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you've already experienced that supernaturally. You've experienced favor from God that you did not deserve. You've had your sin forgiven even though we didn't deserve it. We have a place secured for us in heaven, even though we didn't deserve it. Uh, as Dave was talking tonight, just the emotion of all of that, the, the incredible grace of God in giving us a chance after chance after chance to sort of, he's patient with us, he's kind, and he's good. Amen? So, so actually, when I became a Christian as an eight-year-old boy, it was very little to do with me and an awful lot to do with him. I even got to hear the message because of his grace. I got to respond to the message because of his grace. And I would even argue I became, I can only become a Christian because of his grace. So it felt like I responded and it felt like I found God and it felt like I prayed. But really, God was chasing me. God found me and God saved me. That's how I now understand it. In fact, John says that. He says, we weren't born of our own decision. We were born of the will of God, which is an incredible act of grace. Wow. And the problem is, when we're in the club for a little while, we just forget how amazing that is. That's just an incredible idea that I am here today in what I have as a follower of Jesus, all because of favor from God I actually didn't deserve. Wow. Now, it's important for us as we seek to reach our world, we remember that over and over again. Because the one thing we're prone to forget when we're in the club for a little while is that we got into the club because of God's grace. All right? Now, it's important to hold that we thought. We'll come back to that in a minute. The second word that's used is truth. Now, how on earth do we define truth? Me and you live in a world today where truth is up for grabs, truly, like never before. In fact, we're told there's no such thing as absolute truth, which sounds like an absolute statement to me, but there we are. All right, but but we're told that actually we live in a in a plural society, a pluralist society that allows everybody to believe whatever they want, and every expression of truth, whatever it is, has validity. So, how do we as Christians then define truth to a world that thinks like that? How can we take His truth to their world and and help them see that? And so, I'm going to define truth this way. Truth is reality as God defines it. Okay? So truth is reality as God defines it. So when I talk about truth from the Bible, here's what I'm saying. I'm talking about what I think God wants. This is reality as God sees it. Not as John Andrews sees it. 
Not as you see it, but as he sees it. And in fact, in many ways, that's what the Bible is. The Bible is God's attempt to try and give us an insight into how he thinks about certain things, including us, and also to draw us into an understanding to see his world as he sees it. Not as we see it, but as he sees it. That's a really, that's a tough challenge. Because I see my world as I am, not usually as it is. I'm seeing my world through the lens of who I am. And actually, one of the great challenges of being a follower of Jesus is trying to see his world as he sees it. To see truth as he sees it. So that then I can make that journey to line myself up with God. Does that make sense? So, let's put it together. Jesus comes full of grace and truth. What does that mean? It means he comes to demonstrate and give away God's favor for free. Alright? But at the same time, he's coming to give God's reality as he sees it. So, right there, we've got a problem. We've got a tension. On the one hand, Jesus has come to be super generous. And on another hand, he's come to proclaim a message which is going to clash with his world. He's going to present God's view of the world and that's going to clash with the world's view of the world. He's going to present God's version of truth which is going to clash with your version of truth. So we've got a tension here. We've got Jesus coming to be super generous but at the same time present God's reality that's going to clash with mine and potentially therefore upset me. Yeah? You with me? So here we have the tension, ladies and gentlemen. I think it's the toughest tension that we're facing in the 21st century world as Christians. We have the tension of grace that includes everybody. Everybody's welcome. Yeah? So the doors of the haven are open to everybody. Right? The gospel is for everybody. For the whosoever will. Right? But the other side of that equation is a truth that's going to challenge that everybody. So grace includes and truth can potentially exclude. Grace says you're welcome and yet truth challenges your view of the world. Alright? You see that? Now that creates for us an incredible tension. But here's the thing we've got to see. It's not a tension we can't manage as long as we hold both together. We've got to hold both together. If we just go down the line of all grace, the danger is we throw our arms open so wide that in effect anything is okay. And, 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 you know, there are some contexts where people will say, anything's cool, it's fine. All roads lead eventually to God's goodness and God's love, and it doesn't matter. And so, actually, we just throw the door open and say to people, uh, truth doesn't really matter, you're just loved. Alright? Now that sounds cool, and it sounds attractive, and it's very, very, very sexy in the 21st century. 
but it's fraught with difficulty. Because can I say, even grace needs a boundary. Sounds like a contradiction, but it does. Alright, if on the other hand, all we have is truth, then we end up potentially with something a little bit judgmental, harsh, self-righteous, forces the church into a bit of a ghetto, and, and sort of our message is proclaimed through a megaphone. And actually, it's all about we're right and you're wrong. And, and actually, you've got to come over to our way of thinking. And actually, truth needs grace to protect it. Okay? So gr- grace needs truth to boundary it so that it's got some sense of shape. But grace needs truth, or truth needs grace to protect it. Okay? You with me? So, so actually, we've got this tension in our message. In this, in this fantastic facility, you're facing that tension. Aren't you? You're creating an environment where you're saying everybody's welcome. No matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, where you're going. You're welcome. But yet at the same time, you're presenting a message that's challenging everyone that comes through the door or that comes into contact with the haven. They say that actually, we have a message that wants to challenge the way you see your world, the way you see God, the way you see yourself, the way you see your reality. And actually, we're saying there's something that's better than that, greater than that, and can even transform and change your life. And that's naturally going to challenge people, even, can I say, chase people away. And so people are attracted to us because of our grace, we're generous. But then sometimes people can go away from us because of our message, our truth. And we need both. Now I look at that and I want to... Look at that in the context of my 21st century world. And I'm asking the question, in the life of Jesus, what did that look like? Did Jesus, how did Jesus model grace and truth? What did it look like for him? And therefore, can it have meaning for me today? Because I'm always trying to take what the Bible seems to teach and put it into my world. What does that look like? What does grace and truth look like? And I think in John chapter 8, we get that sense of, well, and I could have picked on many. Tomorrow we'll look at John chapter 4 uh, and we'll tease this out. But in John chapter 8, we have this incredible story of this woman caught in the act of adultery. And actually, in this story, I think we have an amazing demonstration of grace and truth. All at work. Culturally, it's a little bit difficult, this story for us, because it doesn't make sense, much of it, for our 21st century world. In the first century world, this made total sense. But actually, underneath that, some of the principles are absolutely amazing that I think we can learn. Because I think Jesus demonstrates grace and truth. And here's, here, here's the big thing that we're going to keep coming back to all night. That grace makes a way, truth shows the way. Grace makes a way, truth shows the way. So grace opens the door and then truth shows us the way in, shows us the way on from that moment. Is that okay? 
You there? So, so actually, what Jesus is demonstrating over and over again in the way that he deals with those who are outside the kingdom of God is this. He demonstrates grace, which opens a way, and then he gives them truth, which shows them a way. And some people, when the door of grace is opened, they, they go through. So Jesus feeds the hungry. Thank you very much. That's grace. Jesus heals the sick. Thank you for my healing. That's grace. And then often associated with feeding the hungry or healing the sick, there's then a declaration of truth. And here's what sometimes happens. Sometimes people get healed and then go home. So they get healed. That's grace. And they say, oh, thank you very much. And then Jesus says, oh, and by the way, this is who I am. And they go, nah, not into that. And they go home. Jesus feeds the hungry in John 6. And then he says to them, oh, and by the way, if you want to be part of me, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Who wants to sign up for that? And then they, they go home. And in fact, they're going home in such, such droves that Jesus literally turns to his friends, his best friends, and he says, do you want to go home too? So the crowd love the grace bit. Free food. Wow. We're all up for that, right? They don't like the truth bit so much. And yet Jesus straddles this tension brilliantly. He continues to open the way up with grace. And he continues to show the way with truth. And he doesn't seem to mind if people abuse the grace by rejecting his truth. He still gives the grace. Isn't that amazing? So he still gives himself away. He still blesses people. He still heals people. He still feeds the hungry. He still reaches out to the broken. Whether or not they follow his truth path. Wow. And I think that's a model for the church. I think that's a model for me and you. But we've got to understand that to really be able to do it authentically. Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to open up the doors of this fantastic place and a number of people are going to abuse it. And then you're going to get upset. Yeah? And actually, grace is open to abuse constantly. In fact, if it's not open to abuse, it's not grace. So grace is constantly open to abuse. That's why it needs truth. That's why the two have to go together. And actually, there will be people who will come in here, take the freebies, and go home. And you'll be tempted to stop the freebies. Don't do it. Keep being generous. Keep making the way with grace. Because for every five people that walk away after the freebie, there will be one person that will stay. Or maybe more, hopefully. Yeah? And actually, they won't go home. They'll go, I've never experienced something like that before. I want to stay. Now, be encouraged by Jesus. Jesus opens the door by grace, and lots of people abuse his grace, take the gift, and run for the hills. But he still stays generous. And it doesn't in any way impact the truth. But there are those who not only take the grace, but follow the truth. The grace is a taste of the truth, and they take it. And they follow him. You know, Peter says to Jesus when he feeds the, the, the hungry crowd and says to Peter, do you want to go home? Peter says, and this is, this is the glorious moment in John 6. He says, Jesus, where could we go? You alone have the words. See that? So 
you have the words of eternal life. So here's what Peter is saying. I'm here not for the free lunch. I'm here for the truth. And that's what the grace is for. The grace of God is to open the way so that we can accept the truth. And the pattern that Jesus seems to live by is grace makes way for truth. Grace makes way for truth. And if we're prepared to follow that pattern, I think, I think it can empower us to deal, to deal with the moments where people take what we give and walk off. It helps us to cope with that. Yeah? That sense of injustice. And, and we've been abused. And actually, that's God's pattern to a lost world. He offers the freedom of his gift in the hope that they will receive his truth. But even if they don't receive his truth, they still benefit from the generosity of his gift. Wow. What a God. What a God. Amen. So let, let's look at John 8 for a moment and see what we learn. Uh, and and see, see what grace and truth looks like in a real life situation. So it's this amazing situation. Jesus is in the temple courts and the sort of a religious cohort of men drag this woman in, make her stand before Jesus and announce that she has been caught in adultery. There's an interesting image right there. You know, she's been caught in adultery. So it's not that we're accusing her of adultery. We caught her in adultery, which tends to suggest from the rest of the story, they probably set the woman up. Uh, and and led her into this trap. But here she is, caught in the act of adultery, and it seems that Jesus is in an impossible situation. But he demonstrates grace and truth in the most incredibly difficult moment. Okay, now remember, he's in the temple. This is, for a Jewish person, the presence of God. This is where God lives. And he's being confronted with what looks like a no-win scenario. What's he going to do? Jesus, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Moses says she should die. What do you say? So not only is he in the presence of God, the temple, not only is she absolutely 100% guilty, but now they're quoting Moses to him, the writer of the law. I mean, the highest authority they can quote. And they said, well, Moses says she should die. Uh, Rabbi from up north, what do you think? Let's have your opinion on this. It looks like Jesus is dead in the water. But look at his reactions, because from this we learn grace and truth. Here's the first reaction of Jesus. He manages to defend his convictions without losing compassion. Now note this. He manages to defend the integrity of truth without losing compassion for the woman. Now this is an incredible thing. Now That's, that's just... That's just Contrast Jesus to the men accusing the woman. The men accusing the woman are experts in the law. That means some of these men can literally recite the first five books of the Bible off by heart. That's how clever they are in terms of the law. These are experts. These are men who consider themselves to be defenders of the truth. In fact, the passage tells us they're Pharisees, and Pharisee literally means separated one. And the, the origin of the Pharisee was that they, they literally formed in order to protect the truth in exile. So that, so that when, when 
the Jewish people were taken away from their land, these guys would, would defend the truth and make sure it was never lost. So, so they are serious about the truth. All right? And they come to Jesus full of truth and no grace. Now, when you live full of truth and no grace, you inevitably end up picking up stones and throwing them at people not like you. All right? Now, they were there to defend the law, and yet they're so, they're so desirous to destroy Jesus that they go out, they probably trap this woman into adultery, and then they drag her. She's probably already got a reputation. She's probably already been into stuff like that. So she's probably an easy mark. But they grab her anyway and they drag her to the courts of the temple in order to trap Jesus. All right? They're so preoccupied about number one, destroying Jesus, the truth, but also about defending what they see as the truth that they completely lose sight of the woman in the center of the story. All right? In their willingness, passion to defend the truth, they lost their passion for the person for whom the truth was designed. See, listen, we must never become purely passionate about truth. Truth is not given to us by God for truth's sake. Truth is given to us by God for the world's sake. For the sake of the people around us. God hasn't given me truth so I just become clever. God has given me truth so I can live a life that reflects him in my world. And when religion grabs truth and lets go of grace, we inevitably straighten up, stick our chest out, put our noses in the air, and believe ourselves to be better than everybody else around us. And I have known people who've started the journey of grace, been transformed by Jesus, just like me and you have, had their lives transformed by grace, but as they've journeyed, they've sort of stage by stage let go of that grace, and then they get to a place where they're full of their own sense of self-righteousness, that I'm better than you because I have the truth and you don't. Yep. So when they grab the woman, they're defending truth, but they've lost compassion. So what Jesus is doing is reintroducing compassion back to truth. He's bringing grace back to truth. Because actually truth was never meant to be presented without grace. The reason God gives us truth is to lead us to freedom. And to life. Does that make sense? So we live in a world today that believes a lot of stuff different from us. If we get into the truth argument without grace, the danger is we'll back ourselves into a corner and we'll end up throwing stones at people instead of, it, instead of it engaging with them. And that's much harder. See, I, I grew up in Belfast. It's much easier to throw stones than talk. Trust me. Because when I talk with you, 
I engage with you, I find out that behind that Roman Catholic facade, there is a real person. Over a fence, you're just, I was from a Protestant background, over the fence, you're just a Roman Catholic to me. So if I throw a stone at an anonymous figure, it makes no difference. But if I engage with a person, everything changes. Yes? And what grace and truth does, it calls us to engage with our world, even if their view is distasteful to us. And there are lots of views out there that I 100% disagree with. There are lots of things that we are being presented with and challenged with today as the church that I absolutely, passionately hate. Not just disagree with, I hate. But here's the thing, I've got to remember that actually even the people giving the views that I hate are recipients of the grace of God that I've benefited from. I'm not simply here to defend the truth. I am here to present grace and truth. Yep. See, it's Spurgeon said this when it comes to the Bible, an old preacher who lived many years ago, he said this, speaking of the Bible, the word of God, he said, let the lion loose and it will defend itself. That actually, uh, the word of God will has the power to defend itself and touch people's lives. The challenge is, Getting God's word to our world. Well, listen, if I'm standing back and throwing stones over the fence, the word of God's not getting to my world. Yes? They're not getting it. How do they get it? They get it by me and you engaging with our world. So, to these religious men, this woman is anonymous. We don't even know her name. She's a nobody. She's nothing. She's scum. She's dirt. She deserves to die. Jesus, this woman, they say. This woman deserves to die. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says she deserves to die. Technically, they were right. In the spirit of grace and truth, they were off the mark. And actually, that's the challenge for me and you today. We want people to hear the truth, absolutely. But we want them to hear it through the doorway of grace. Yep. And that's a challenge. And we can't do that from a distance. We can only do that up close. We can't just shout at people. We've got to engage with people. We can't stand over the wall. We've got to make a way through the wall. And what you're doing here in this center is exactly that. You're literally creating a grace door. A door that will open itself to the community. But here's the thing we've got to prepare for. As we open up the grace door to this community, there are going to be people coming through those doors or people we're going to meet as a result of other people coming through those doors that are going to freak us out with their views on God, the universe and everything in it. If we react in a way that is, is defensive or negative or without grace, then actually the danger is they don't get to hear the message that they need to hear. Yep. Can I just say that the louder we shout, it just simply shows the less secure we are.
Yep. Jesus defends his convictions without losing compassion. So in this passage, Jesus never once compromises truth. Not once. So he doesn't break the law. He doesn't say the woman's not guilty. He doesn't say she doesn't deserve to die because he knows that's all true. She is guilty and she does deserve to die. According to the law. But he still manages to defend the truth by being compassionate. My goodness, do you know our world not only needs God's truth, it needs a compassionate church. It really does. Doesn't it? Here's the second thing I want you to see. We can be generous without compromise. Jesus demonstrates a generosity to this woman without compromising the law. There's a little moment in here which is really funny if you're in a first century Jewish world, but it it doesn't mean anything to me and you. There's a moment where Jesus stoops down and he writes on the ground. Now here's a funny thing. It's not funny, haha. It's just funny in terms of the world of of that that Jewish world. This day was the day after a festival, special festival. And the day after a festival was Sabbath. Um, So it was an extra Sabbath, if you like. Sabbath was normally Friday to Saturday in the Jewish calendar. But when you had a festival, the day after was an extra Sabbath. And all the Sabbath rules applied. One of the Sabbath rules was you weren't allowed to write anything down that could be permanent. And so here's Jesus. When he's confronted with the sin of this woman, it says he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Now, here's the amazing thing. He's writing, but he's not writing something permanent. He's writing in the dust of the floor of the temple, which can be wiped out. So, so actually, he's writing something down, but he's not violating the Sabbath. He's keeping the Sabbath, but challenging their preconceptions. In writing on the ground, he is being generous to her without in any way compromising the truth. He's managed to do both things. Now, me and you don't get that. Why would we get that? That doesn't make any sense to us. But in his world, that was a powerful message to the re- religious experts. He, he, you know, what did Jesus write on the ground? Wouldn't we love to know? What did he write? There are incredible views on that. Did he write something about the law of God? Did he write some of the sins of the men who were standing there. Did he write the name of the man she had sex with? That would have been a good one. I think that's my favorite. Um, and so he writes his name down on the ground. We really don't know, and therefore we cannot, we cannot say, but whatever he wrote, it, it sort of stopped the melee and got people's attention. But he wrote it in such a way that he didn't break the law. That's the point I want to make to you. He was able to be generous to the woman without compromising the law. Do you know, that's, that's a great model for us. That we can be generous with a broken world without ever compromising God's truth. And sometimes when we're generous to people around us, people, people maybe accuse us of the fact that we're going soft on the issues in their life. That actually, somehow, because I'm generous to a context, that I'm condoning that context. But we're not. Just because we're generous to a broken person doesn't mean we're condoning the issues in that person's life. We're just being generous to them without compromising 
And, and there is a challenge sometimes on us that actually we want to step back from being generous because we're afraid that that's going to be seen somehow as a condoning of the world we're being generous to. Yeah. And the irony is the church needs to be more generous to those contexts than, than less. That actually it's generosity and grace that sometimes breaks the resistance to the gospel in many areas because people are experiencing the goodness of God before they hear the truth of God. I, it's just, but we're afraid sometimes because we think, well, if, if we're generous to them, people will think we're condoning their behavior, but we're not. We're just being generous. So Jesus is, is actually, by stooping down and writing on the ground, he's starting to defend the woman. That's, his, that's the beginning of his process, to defend her. He's being generous to her. What he should have said as a good rabbi was, you know, boys, you're right. You've caught her in the act of adultery. Moses says she deserves his eye. Take her out and stone her. That's what he should have said. But he doesn't. He, he starts to defend her by writing on the ground. And yet, by writing on the ground, he doesn't break the law of God. He manages to be true to the truth and generous to the sinner. We can do both. We can do both. That actually, generosity to a broken world does not mean we have to compromise what we believe. In fact, I would say this. The more secure we are in what we believe, the more generous we can be. I would say lack of generosity is a sign we're nervous about what we believe. Give it away. And, and actually Jesus teaches that to us over and over and over again. That the kingdom of God is not fragile. It's not weak. It's not going to fall over because a sinner refuses it. It's, it's not going to die. It's, not, it's going to relentlessly continue throughout its world. And actually at the heart of the kingdom of God is a generosity that people can enjoy even if they don't accept. Jesus tells lots of parables about the kingdom. One of them is, you know, what's the kingdom of God? Like he said, it's like a little seed planted in the ground. It grows up into a great tree and all the birds of the air sit in it. In other words, he's teaching us there that, that there will be people who, who don't accept the call of the kingdom who will benefit from the kingdom. That's God's generosity. That's what the church is here to do. That's what we're about. We should be leading the charge in our communities in demonstrating God's generosity. Does that make sense? Okay, here's the last thing and then we're done. I'll let you go. Jesus teaches us a third dynamic principle that we can offer acceptance without granting approval. We can offer acceptance without granting approval. Now, how do I know that? Well, right at the end of the story, everyone's gone because Jesus has challenged them with this incredible statement. Look, if you're without sin, cast the stone. Now again, it's a brilliant piece of theology. Because without compromising the law, he challenges them and he throws it back at them. And he says, look, if you guys are without sin, then step up and do it. So actually he changes the argument. He shifts the argument to somewhere else. And it's a brilliant piece 
of defense of this, of this situation. Now note again, he's not, he's not condoning the woman. He's not saying she's not guilty. He's not saying don't touch her, leave her alone. He's saying, all right, if you're without sin, you do it. You, you start. But, you know, so he's actually saying, yes, come and stone her. Come and kill her. It's an amazing thing. He shifts the argument away. And he demonstrates this incredible principle that I think the church must grasp. That he offers her acceptance without granting her approval. Jesus had an awful habit in the Gospel of Luke of eating with people. In fact, um, every time you look at Jesus in Luke's Gospel, he seems to be stuffing his face. He's, he's eating with someone. And in fact, he, he's, he's called a, a glutton. And in fact, in some cases, he's called a drunk and a glutton. Now, none of those things were true. He was neither a glutton nor a drunk, but that was the perception. Every time we turn around, you're eating. Every time we turn around, you're having a party. And the problem was he wasn't just eating. It was who he was eating with. And, and in the Jewish world, if you opened up your home and invited people in and shared your food, it was like you were identifying with them. You were, you were literally aligning yourself with them. Um, and, and to open up your table was to open up your heart. So, so a good religious rabbi or a good Pharisee would never have dinner with a disreputable person. And yet Jesus is always doing that. Now, now, don't be misled. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus eats dinner five, eight times, eight times with different types of people. Five times he eats with sinners and three times he eats with Pharisees. So actually, he's not just always eating with the sinners. He's reaching out to some of the religious guys as well because he wants to save them. Because we get this impression of Jesus that he only likes the sinners and he hates the religious. That's not true. We're doing Jesus a great disservice when we say that. The evidence shows that Jesus reaches out as much to the religious who are lost as he does to the sinners who are, who are lost. Yes? So actually, what does Jesus show us here? He accepts the woman totally, but doesn't approve of her. Now, how do I know that? Right at the end of the story, he says to her, where are your accusers? She says, they're gone. Here's what he says. Neither do I accuse you. Neither do I condemn you. That's acceptance. But then he says this, go and sin no more. That's, that's Jesus saying, look, I don't approve. What you've done is wrong. And without, without slamming her, he's saying to her, you need to change. You need to walk away from this life of sin. Now, one of the things that sometimes frustrates me about the Bible is we don't know what happened next. And I hope in heaven there's a big DVD library that I can go to. And one of the DVDs I would check out of the library would be what happened after John chapter 8 verse 11. Where did she go? What did she do? Did she run back to her life of sin and jump straight back into bed with someone? Or did she open up an orphanage? Become a fantastic person? Change the world? What did she do? We don't, we don't know. And that's the beauty of the story. That's the beauty of how God leaves it. Actually, you don't need to know. All you need to know is this, that Jesus accepted her without approving of her. 
He says to her, I do not condemn you. In fact, God does not condemn you. The word in flesh doesn't condemn you. But I certainly don't approve of your lifestyle. Go and leave your life of sin. Now, we can only say that to people when we're up close and personal. And Jesus manages to demonstrate this incredible grace and truth tension. You're accepted. We love you. But listen, the lifestyle we just we don't approve of. We're not going to agree with you on it. We're not going to go soft on the lifestyle issue simply because, you know, we love you. In fact, it's because we love you. We're saying to you, we don't agree with the lifestyle issue. We can do both. And there are some huge challenges facing the church in the 21st century. And one of the challenges is the acceptance and approval tension. And and listen, as you develop this wonderful place, that's going to become an even greater challenge as you journey. Because you're throwing open your arms and you're saying to people who come in, we accept you, we love you, we want you to experience the grace of God. But... But that's going to throw up lifestyle issues, belief issues, where actually we go, hey, we love you, but we cannot approve. We do not approve, and we will not approve of your lifestyle. But when you're close enough to someone, you can say that without judging them. You're saying that because the grace of God has come to them. Amen? I don't know what she did. I want to believe she believed. I want to believe she changed. I want to believe she became an incredible woman of God who ended up following Jesus and serving him. She may have gone off and got worse. But the fact is, she got a chance. She got an opportunity. Because instead of just being confronted with a world of truth without grace, which would have left her stoned, she encountered a man who had grace and truth. She encountered someone who opened the way to truth through the door of grace and who gave her a chance to see something beyond anything she had ever seen before. Think of your neighbors. Think of your friends. Think of the community we're based in. Think of the people that are coming through these doors, coming to our our groups and our clubs. Many of them are lost, they're broken, they're bruised, they're wounded. Many of them actually know their lives aren't good. They know that, but they just don't know how to fix it. And actually, think what could happen if they walk into a community where they're received, they're accepted, they're loved for who they are, and through that grace and mercy... They're shown to a pathway of truth. Some of them will walk away. They'll take the freebie and they'll go. But others will stop. Touched by the grace of God, they'll say, what's the next step? Where do I go next? What do I need to do to receive the God that you're showing me? And lives will be transformed, not just by truth, but by grace and truth. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? hope that's made sense to you. I really felt this was a strong message for you, just in the context of the journey you're on.
I just love what you guys are doing in the context of this, what this building represents. It's fantastic. And, you know, if, if this is your church, you are part of a church that wants to reach out and look out and go out. And that's what this building represents. An amazing step of faith. I, I absolutely believe God has opened this door. And I want to believe with you that the ethos of this building will be grace and truth. That God will give us a supernatural grace to be gracious and generous. To show a favor to people that they don't deserve. And that God will give us supernatural wisdom to share truth with people. That can both at the same time transform their lives or, or actually drive them away because they don't want that truth. And I want to pray that God will put his grace and truth on this building. His grace and his truth on you as leaders. His grace and his truth on every volunteer. So that we will be people of both generosity and integrity. We will be people of both that open their arms and accept all. And at the same time declare truth. And God's righteousness. And we can do that in such a way. That God will be glorified. Some will come and some will go. But many will come. And they will stay. And they will stay because they experienced grace. That led them to truth. Lord Jesus we want to thank you. That you came to our world full of grace and truth. The law came from Moses. But grace and truth came from you. Lord, that day in the temple, men with the law of Moses wanted to kill a woman. But you demonstrated in the house of God, in the sacred presence of the king of the universe, that God came to save the woman and to heal her from her brokenness. Lord, I pray that we will be men and women absolutely full of truth, who understand your truth. The reality is you see it. We want to live by that truth. But Lord, we also want to be men and women that are absolutely saturated in grace. So that the truth never becomes an end in itself. But that grace opens the door so that truth can transform people's lives. Forgive us, Lord, for the moments when we have forgotten the grace that we have received. Where we've become a bit self-righteous with our our hearts slightly hardened and our noses in the air. Lord, forgive us for those moments. We've all done it. Help us to be men and women, O oh God, who allow the unmerited favor of God to guide us and direct us so that your truth can change lives. And Lord, I pray, and I don't even know if this is a theological prayer, but I'm praying in any way. I pray that this building will be saturated with grace and truth. Lord, I know it's the people that carry your presence. We get that. But Lord, we pray that as people walk into this place, they will feel, they will feel the grace of God. They will experience peace and rest that will open up their hearts and open up their spirits and open up their brokenness to the possibility of hearing truth. 
and that, Lord, as the truth is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit will take that truth. Open up hearts and minds and eyes and revolutionize people with that truth. Lord, I pray that you will protect the leadership of this church and every volunteer, that every one of us will be men and women full of grace and truth. And that, Lord, as we proclaim grace and the generosity of this place, so it will make a supernatural path for truth to be proclaimed and for truth to transform lives. In Jesus' name. And so, Lord, thank you for grace that came to us, for truth that changed us. And we pray that, Lord, we will be as you to our world, men and women who carry your grace and through that grace proclaim your truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great evening. Bless you.